the song goes, the, the sailor says, Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. But my life, my love, my lady is the sea. Oh. And that's uh, how I want to dump somebody one day. <laughs> Wait, okay. But in all in all reality, would you follow through and get like a boat and go live on it? I hope you would. Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land. With the mason ring and trouser in his perfect hands. Here comes George, in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington. No, I really, I really think that you should do that. I, th- just, I think it could live Captain, on a boat. I'm sorry, Captain Justin. It would be Captain Justin, sir. Can I be your first mate? No. No. Why? I could I like. Think so. I can navigate. I can clean up. I can take the second shift. I'll take the night shifts. You know, I'll take the hard shifts for you, buddy. You're the captain. You know. Okay. Oh, captain, my you. captain. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, you ready to get into this? Well, 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 Justin. We meet again. Not for the last time either. Not, uh, well, hopefully. Uh, to set, Wait, to set things off, officially, today is Wednesday, May 24th, 2017. Uh, this is episode 12. You're welcome. The current events, we're all going to die. Uh, yeah. Like it's 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 really cuckoo bananas how much has happened since the last time we recorded, which is about a month ago. You know, I started to look through all the current events that I'd want to talk about, and there were so many, so many things. What I would like mostly to say is thank you, France. What's going on over there? France? Yeah. They didn't elect the, the populist. Oh, which is, my God. Yeah, no, they did not a elect a Trump. That was good for them. You don't know. You're totally right. Yeah. Thank you, France. There's some sanity. You're not just going to like completely go batshit crazy. You know, it's something that I think George Washington coined was thank you, France. Thank you. Thanks, France. France. Thank you. Lafayette. Currently 45 or President Cheeto. Orange spice abroad. Oh my gosh, he is the pumpkin spice of the presidents. He's uh, <laughs> hanging out with the Pope, which is real fun. I think he's, do you think he offended him at all? Like how, I want to know what was said. There's a really great picture going around of he and his wife and his uh, daughter wife <laughs> and the Pope. And the Pope doesn't look very enthusiastic. <laughs> He has the look <laughs> on his face like, oh, fuck, like he's stuck in these. a group project with the, the <sighs> goth kids. Oh, God, deal with these fucking people. Oh, God. Yeah, that's we- they're all weird. Uh, one of my favorites was uh, Molina swatting his hand when they were in Israel. 
It's Melania. Uh, I always say that, Melania. Yeah, she does that a lot. Melania. When is... I I want to take bets on if she's going to push him down a flight (laughs) of stairs before he gets impeached. Like just, she looks dead. She looks dead on the inside, and just she would just like extend one hand, and he would die. That'd be so cool. Like, uh, oh, oh yeah, I hope so. Moving uh, along. Hey Justin. Hey Ryan. You want to talk about our little trip to Mount Vernon? I do. I do. I do. I do. Right on. Okay. So, what was uh like? What was some of your favorite stuff? There's the stuff Mount in Mount Vernon. Um, parking. Parking was excellent. <laughs> there was is was adequate parking at Mount Vernon. One one could say. No, I I absolutely think that you're correct. It, you could just go right in. Plenty of space. Just roll around. It was good. Yeah. Great facilities. Do you mean good. bathrooms in general or <laughs> the whole ground itself? The whole ground is magnificent. And there's oh. some, some great little movies to watch along the way. <laughs> My favorite was the movie that had both snow. There was there was snow falling on you in the movie theater. Fog, mist. They had like this two screen, one round, one like big dome type thing set up. It was it was elaborate. It was clever. It was fucked up. <laughs> and it, it was and that, not, that was the the little did. little movie that was highlighted his war campaign. And totally like like just cut out five years of it. Yeah, like there's like it was shit. and we're winning now. Like the end. Yeah, it's it it stopped like pretty much where we are now in the in the narrative. Mm-hmm. And just jumped ahead five years. So <laughs> up ahead for us is a bunch of Washington fuck ups, apparently. <laughs> Basically. We did notice a lot of a lot of uh, family groups dressing their children up from head to toe <laughs> in Trump memorabilia. Yeah, that was a real thing. Yeah, which was, you know, <laughs> not weird. Not weird at all. They really glossed over the, the slavery part. No, I'm really glad you said that because I was about to like one thing that I wrote down in our notes was that whitewashing history. Like they're like, this is cleaner and nicer than it was back then because i mean like yeah you were owned by another human being but it's fine it's cool we lived in these nice cool little barracks places and they took care of us you know yeah we may have just missed the shitty place like the (laughs) shitty huts but i don't think they exist there's just like a uh the slave quarters adjacent to mount vernon which they modeled after military barracks of mm-hmm. the period mm-hmm. so it was just like going to summer camp yeah it was cool like you just had you grabbed a bunk top bunk yeah, i get the top bunk, bunk. <laughs> giggles giggles at night you know around the fireplace there was a fireplace it was cool yeah uh i will say that the colors inside of mount vernon are hideous <laughs> they were different they were vibrant colors they're bright a lot colors of greens yeah greens well, and the, blues the idea that you would have these bright colors in a room with either paint or wallpaper meant that you had money and you were wealthy and you could afford these elaborate pigments and dyes to color your walls with, right? Yes. Because purple is hard to come by that back then. Well, it was just like not completely accessible easily. Like that was a 
a nice touch, extra work. Yes. I think they focused a lot on the wrong things. Like I remember the guy upstairs when we were walking past Washington's bedroom where he died was super focused on the fact that like they couldn't give him a tracheotomy. So that's why he died. Oh, you know, we didn't have the technology back then. Like, you know, they had it in Europe, but we didn't have it here. So he died, you know, like because we couldn't give him a tracheotomy. And it's like there are so many more interesting things that you could say about the room that is directly across from where you are standing, sir. That is not in the least one of them. I'm very disappointed that you didn't say that to him. Oh, it was so upsetting to me. It was so upsetting. Anyway, I'm over it. I'm fine. My favorite thing about Mount Vernon, uh, I love the key from the Bastille that was sent to him by Lafayette. Yeah, I really wanted to Nicolas Cage that thing. Yeah, that was my favorite. It was a really big fucking key. That thing was massive. For those of you that don't know what that is, go fuck yourself. Go fuck. Go Wikipedia the shit. The Bastille. Yeah, it's even in an Assassin's Creed game. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> the grounds of uh, Mount Vernon were very pretty, though. You're right. And the house was large. It was lopsided. That was my, my favorite thing about it. I've read about how it was lopsided. It's not quite built with a center. It, it, he, because he built that great extension off to like the left, if you're looking at the house from the front to the river in the background, that first great room that he had that was two stories tall to kind of like project the fact that he was wealthy. Can you imagine, Justin, we walked through a place where George Washington held balls. There were, I mean, he had balls, but he held not his balls, but dance balls. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering where you were going with that. (gasps) I can't. Because Ryan always thinking about holding balls. I'm sorry. So we're back. But the the museum portion oh. as well. Oh, yeah. The, like so, the, uh, the bottom portion or the top portion, I mean. Yeah. The, the place where his teeth were. We saw his teeth. That was cool. Or horrifying. That, yeah, that was pretty. It was pretty horrifying. We'll post a picture. Yeah, I think I have a picture of the teeth. Even though you're, you weren't really supposed to take any pictures. And uh, the other thing that was really interesting was that there was which looked like it had been added on much later was the black part of Mount Vernon history. <laughs> so the, the the museum is very much segregated. The part where they talk about slaves is a completely different part than the rest of the Washington Museum. Their thing was which, they were trying to kind of pay a respect to the black history that exists at Mount Vernon. I get what they were trying to do. But it is ironic that it's segregated. Yeah. And you have to actually open a door yourself. It's a huge glass door. A heavy, huge glass door. But if you don't choose to go and learn about that stuff, you don't. You don't. You just don't. And it's pretty like it's, easy. It, it feels is, like this is optional. It's actually behind the stairs where you go to exit. So like you could walk right by it, actually. And not even notice that it's there. Exactly. We almost did that. We almost walked right by it. I, I, I mean, like, I think you knew it was there, but I was like, oh, I'm going to walk on by. Blah, 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 blah. And you're like, no, we should go over there. And I'm like, oh, I did not even notice that was there. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, the, oh and the other thing is how the surrounding area of Mount Vernon has been preserved. Like it's not developed, which is cool. Like you can kind of walk out the back door of Mount Vernon, look out on the Potomac River, and it's very much 
what it would look like in Washington's time. It, it is kind of majestic and serene. You, you can see one cell tower, but hey, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get on Facebook when I'm at Mount Vernon. Yeah, you got You gotta fucking take your selfies, selfies. We, exactly. That's all. That's all I really have to say about that. It was fun. It was a good time. I'm, I'm really glad. Cool city. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I love Washington D.C. We went during uh, the Climax Festival. Is that what it was? The Climax yes, Festival. Yes. The is the march to raise awareness about climaxes. Okay, that's what I thought. Right on. So let's <sighs> recap. Recap. Last episode, we learned that George was pretty bad at noticing a full scale invasion taking place directly in front of his eyes. The time period is summer 1776. America has officially declared independence and the British are closing in on the city of New York, which for some reason, the Continental Congress wanted to still secure, even though it was a Tory stronghold. George goes along with all their wishes and spreads his troops entirely too thin across the island of Manhattan and Long Island. The British stage a three-pronged attack starting at the bottom of Long Island in a place called Gravesend. Which, by the way, I'll mention this more at the end, but thank you, James, uh, for sending me some stuff about Gravesend and where that name came from. Anyway, the British split into three groups and descend on Brooklyn. The first two waves were just to play with the Americans. While a heated battle of a few thousand mercenaries or hired troops was going on in Brooklyn and Flatbush, and Flatbush, General Howe was marching around 10,000 plus of his British regulars up and over the current battle scene that was taking place in Brooklyn. And they flanked the Americans, enveloped their rear, winky, and forced a retreat. Now, Justin, you made That's a good butt stuff. <clears throat> That's some butt stuff. Justin, last episode, you made, Justin, you made a good point last episode. You said that. Thank jo- you. Oh, yes. Why, thank you. Uh, you said that George had become good at one thing evacuating. And you were totally right. I just finished reading 1776 by David McCullough. He mentioned he <clears throat> he mentions this. He also states that if George was a master at evacuation, then how illusionist was, Dick illusions? A trick is something a whore does for money. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> he also states that if George was a master at evacuation, then how was the master at procrastination? How had George? He could have hammered him into oblivion. The war could have ended. A conservative estimate would put the British at two to one at a two to one advantage over the Americans. More liberal estimates at four to one. So why didn't he pursue? There's a lot of debate over this topic, and definitely a conspiracy theory or two I tripped over while kind of reading. He's through a this. Freemason. Yeah, no, seriously. Like they were like, maybe he let him go. Maybe it's all constructed war. Everyone's in control. Uh, do you think that Trump's, do you think that Trump's in the Illuminati? No, <laughs> he's not in the Illuminati. <laughs> uh, my, my favorite thing we talked about last show though, was how George was a little suicidal. Literally. He wanted to die. He no longer believed in his troops and he sat on a horse in a field that the British were approaching. He had to be led away by his officers. No worries though. Once the British take New York, they attempt to wander up north to Harlem and harass the Americans. This time, though, the Americans put up a formidable fight and push back against the British. This made George a little less suicidal. And that brings us to today. Justin, take her away. 
I hope you never say that again. Justin, take her away. So yes, George is down in the dumps. His army is a big fat mess, very low energy. <laughs> the British land 4,000 troops to the east of Harlem Heights, thanks to some thick-ass fog and thick-ass thighs. A lot of people like it thick. Washington needs to move north so that the Brits cannot surround them. You know, always very important not to be surrounded by your enemy. The problem with marching so many sick and wounded 18 miles is that you definitely need enough wagons. So what happens when you don't have these wagons? Well, George has to make a a difficult decision, and he will have to discharge a bunch of sick dudes, forcing them to become beggars left to make it home if they can. Yeah, beggars. And that must have been a really difficult call to make. You know, you're doing this to sick and injured folks that... Folks. ...that were fighting for you yesterday. But it's sort of like the present day handling of veterans. Hmm. But maybe not so much. Well, they they literally had no money back then. And no modern health system to speak of. The rest of George's army made the long march north to White Plains. They were essentially starving, and most didn't have adequate warm clothing or shelter. They had no shelter. Give me shelter by the Rolling Stones. So what do you do when you don't have warm clothing or shelter? You have to Peter Pan the shit out of that. (laughs) You have to make believe that you are warm. Maybe get a hold of some booze. Just for that warm feeling. You're doing it, Peter. You're doing it. You believe. You're doing it, Peter. Thanks for believing, kids. White Plains gave them higher ground, but they did not have much as far as fortification. Some corn stalks and dirt makes for a shitty defense, if you can get that that dirt. It's mostly clay up in that puss. (laughs) It was, you're right. They also fortified nearby Chatterton's Hill. I like mm. that name. Chatterton's. If I ever have a son, his name's going to be Chatterton. Sir Chatterton. Chatterton! <laughs> ah! Chatterton, Matthew! <laughs> oh, you have a middle name picked out already, too. And just like that, the British were on top of them again. Real rapey. <laughs> A mutt army of 13,000 Hessians and Brits would soon begin their assaults on continental entrenchments. At first, the advantage of high ground was kind of nice. Alexander Hamilton was there. He was a captain. But the British, I don't know why. (laughs) He was a captain. Oh, captain, my captain. Alexander (laughs) Hamilton. But the British charge was too much, along with their heavy artillery. Washington's forces began breaking rank and fleeing. Trineau quotes the soldier who witnessed how one cannonball, quote, first took the head of Smith, a stout, heavy man, and dashed it open, then took off Chilston's arm, which was amputated. (laughs) It then took Taylor across the bowels. It then struck Sergeant Garrett of our company on the hip and took off the point of the hip bone. What a sight. Fuck. What a sight that was seen within a distance of six rods. Those men with their legs and arms and guns and packs all in a heap. (laughs) Fucking dark, man. (laughs) Just dicks and assholes everywhere. 
Uh, Talk about a rough day at work. <laughs> but anyways, everything you hope and dream a cannonball can do, this motherfucker tells us about it. <laughs> the British are keeping their win streak alive, if you don't count General Charles Lee defeating a small British endeavor into uh, South Carolina. And that just makes me, and whenever, like, whenever Charles Lee wins anything, I just get, like, a little fucking pissed. Because this little fucking pipsqueak... He's a little fucking, he's a little asshole. He's, he's horrible. We need to get some merchandise that says, fuck Charles, General Charles Lee in America. It's going to say, fuck Charles, General Charles Lee, dot, 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 an American hero. (laughs) I like that. The British, and once again, the British do not pursue or try to smash the nearly starving American force. How is still trying to be a gentleman mm. or something weird like that in war? All right. Someone talk about the Hudson Bay a little bit. I don't know. Where, how, do, how do I segue to that? Can we just do set? Can I say segue? Can we put in a sound effect like segue? Yes, and I just, can. And then I just like, so the, what about that Hudson Bay? What about what about that Hudson Bay? Important question mark. But the Hudson Bay had these two forts that sat on it. And these are important because, again, we see the British coming up and harassing up into Harlem. And if they're coming up into Harlem to harass it, the idea would be that they're probably going to strike Fort Washington. Fort Washington, they were both, like I said, they were both positioned on the Hudson. We had Fort Lee. Fort Lee was to the west and Fort Washington was to the east of this tributary from the ocean up into the Hudson River. They didn't want that British to get up in that fucking Hudson River puss of New York. So they wanted to put these forts there. And they thought that if they put two forts on each side of the Hudson River, they could fire down on any ship that would attempt to ride up into the Hudson. However, that apparently turned out not to work out so well. Fort Washington, which was actually the more impressive of the two forts, Fort Washington and Fort Lee, had some defects, you could say. It had no internal water source. It had no topsoil. No meant, Wi-Fi. No fucking Wi-Fi. What's the, what's the Wi-Fi password? We don't have a Wi-Fi up here, bro. We don't have a Wi-Fi up here, bro. My Wi-Fi's broken. I ran out of data. Dad shut me down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they had no topsoil, which meant they had no trenches, like you mentioned. Um, and they lacked some powder magazines. Palisades. Uh, they didn't actually even have barracks. And Fort Washington could only hold about 1,200 men, which there were about 3,000 soldiers that might need to take refuge inside of this fort. So it couldn't even hold half. And the guns that were on the forts shooting down into this opening of the Hudson River from the Hudson Bay into the Hudson River had guns so that you could shoot down into the ships, but they go, those guns could not move around to fire at their rear in case they were being attacked, say, from Harlem up into Fort Washington. Across these two forts, they actually had this fucking big-ass chain. They sunk obstacles in the river to prevent these fucking massive British ships. Who and these, The British were very good at like naval warfare, so they wanted to prevent the British from taking this big-ass ships and moving them all the way up. However, on October 9th, 1776, 
three British ships tested these defenses, and nine British sailors were killed. However, the ships passed through, and there was very little destruction to them, so that they were completely fine. And Washington was talking to Hamilton when he said this. Um, said, to our surprise and mortification, the ships passed without receiving any apparent damage from our forts, that they kept up a heavy fire from both sides. Yeah, it's pretty hard to fucking hit some goddamn ships that are being blown by the wind up into the Hudson River, moving targets for these people that are lobbing cannons with all this fucking gunfire, and they were not hitting anything. They could not hit the broadside of a barn. So what does Congress do? Congress goes, uh, we, listen, you're not doing really well up there, but we really think it's important that you protect this passage right here, because if they fucking get up into that New York puss, they're going to get, they're going to take everything. We will lose. They will sever all communication. They'll cut all of our dicks off. They will cut all of our fucking dicks off. Anyway, oh, on no- man, I'm really hungry. I want some Jesus sausage. Doing some. Oh, God. I would love to eat a sausage right now. <laughs> mm. Not like that kind of sausage, but just uh, oh, maybe some some spicy mustard and sausage. Sausage. Anyway, on November 5th, 1776, so like a month later, three ships again passed through these fortifications. And Washington decided to write Nathaniel Green, who was in charge of all these forts, which, again, reminder, Nathaniel Green is this young, he's a younger gentleman. He doesn't really have any experience whatsoever, much like Washington, but still just no experience. I just want to note that. Who's in charge of these two forts. And Washington says to Nathaniel Green, if we cannot prevent vessels passing up it, what valuable purpose it answer to attempt to hold a post from with the expected benefit cannot be had. I therefore am inclined to think it would not be prudent to hazard the men and stores at Mount Washington, but as you are on spot, leave it to give you such orders as evacuating Mount Washington as you judge best. And again, Green was too young and had almost no experience. So he thought that the forts could easily be defended, kind of like Washington thought that he could easily defend himself at Fort Necessity, perhaps. So maybe Washington has some, he, he, he's like thinking, he's like, I, okay, I fucking get how you could think this. So anyway, he thought that the Fort Washington was impregnable and he disregarded Washington's advice to move the troops. Unfortunately for both Washington and Green, there was a deserter. On November 2nd, William DeMont defected and he took to the British plans of the fort and reported that morale was super low. Um, what and, shithead. Of, and I know, oh no, seriously, because when I say he took plans of the fort, he took like he made blueprints of the fort and like went to them and was like, this is the how the whole fort. This is the thing. This is the whole thing. And so he was right. William DeMont was right. There was low morale. Many enlistments were set to expire at the end of November. And the soldiers were basically fucking giving up. Like you said earlier, all these people were just fucking wandering back home. And an aide reported back that the roads were thick with ragged men returning to their homes in the most scandalous and infamous manner, which is fucking funny to think about. <clears throat> Not so funny. George it sounds my- like a gay bar in the <laughs> 80s. Woo! 
Oh no, that does kind of sound like me when like, with ragged men. Yeah, it's like to their homes. Two o'clock in the morning. Go home, boys. Go home. Can't stay here. Closing time. Anyway, George's mind was all over the place. He was worried about the troops leaving. He thought the British might attempt to take the forts Washington and Lee, which right. And he thought the British might try to take Philadelphia as well. As a result, he took 2,000 more troops to New Jersey. He left Green in charge of both the forts by himself, and he sent General William Heath to guard the Hudson Highlands for those ships and stuff. You know, he kind of wanted to guard the approach to these forts. He didn't really know where the British were going, and he was too preoccupied with these thoughts to reevaluate anything that Green might be doing in these forts. As we remember before, George was totally bad at judging where the British might go. Just like the assault on Long Island, he had no idea. He couldn't even see the movements of these troops. It just, it was too much for him. He was bogged down with everything. So on November 15th, there was an ultimatum. So after some poking around, General Howe decides he wants that Fort Washington. He wants to get up in that puss and impregnate the shit out of Fort Washington. He wants to impregnate Fort Washington. He wants to get <laughs> Washington pregnant. <laughs> he gets, and again, great intel from that defected colonial soldier. He knows that shit inside and out. You didn't talk about the ultimatum. You just said there was an ultimatum, right? Yeah, I did not talk about an ultimatum, but I said that there was an ultimatum. And that ultimatum to Colonel Robert McGaugh, Bloodbath McGaugh, but that McGrath, uh, he he's like surrender the fort or I'm going to destroy it, <laughs> which is a a very coy, subtle ultimatum. Oh, do you remember? Hey, by the way, that that same the guy who delivered the ultimatum, Colonel James Patterson, was the same guy who like was playing hardball with Washington earlier with the Esquire and et cetera, et cetera's. He's the same dude that came yeah. over. Same dude delivered the ultimatum. Who's like, I am the officially the word and the pre- president. I, how is my, I speak for how. He was official. What a dreamboat. <laughs> but this, this threat <laughs> that we're going to destroy your fort is not taken seriously as you do against a, a, a vastly superior force. Like, they're, they're not, they're not going to go fuck with us, bro. They see us up here, bro. They know us, bro. those colonial generals they had a pretty high opinion about fort washington it seems the only one freaking out about the ultimatum was george himself green and putnam convinced washington while he was in a boat on his way (laughs) to his namesake fort that everything was a-okay everything is fine i promise you everything is fine here it's there's no There's no Russian tampering with the election. It's fine. Fort Washington is hopefully going to be a metaphor for the Trump presidency. (laughs) (laughs) So Washington turns back and goes to bed in Fort Lee and finds Fort Washington under heavy attack in the morning. It's like, oh, fuck. Unable to reach the fort, he along with Green and Putnam go about a mile south of Fort Washington on a hill to see what's up. 
the wise man builds his house upon the rock. They essentially leave the hill and go back across the Hudson out of fear of Washington's safety, but they leave with a sense of security. The defenses look good. Little did they know the British would arrive at that very hill 15 minutes after they left. <laughs> Where'd they go? Where'd they go? I mean, it's, it's Where'd like, they go? It's like they have bad judgment. They were just here. By then, General Howe ramps up heavy fire on the fort and just pulverizes the shit out of the <laughs> American defenses. Yeah, he does. He really does. The defense of the fort soon starts to look like a duck and cover drill from the Cold War era. Run away, run away. You know, a book over your head is going to protect you from thermonuclear war. <laughs> Any patriot not in the fort is bayoneted. Bayoneting wow. is super patriotic. <laughs> Be- wait, being bayoneted is super patriotic. The fort has to surrender before supper time. Some 3,000 survived the assault only to be sent to prison ships. I don't know much about being in prison, but I feel like I would not enjoy a prison ship particularly. I don't, I would say that they are filthy. Well, you're a filthy horse, so you know. Lieutenant Frederick McKenzie wrote, a great many of them were lads under 15 and old men, and yeah. few had the appearance of sojers. Because, like, but seriously, though, so who are you going to put in a fort that you think is impregnable? You, you're you not going to put your strongest men in a fort that you think can't be beaten. You're going to put some weak-ass fucking soldiers up there and be like, point these little fucking guns and fucking kill all those people that are going to come at you. Everything will be fine. It'll be fine. It's just like Everything. Space Jam. Oh, God. It is like, no, speaking of, I think we had a Space Jam moment when the fucking creatures, aliens, were fucking touching that orb. Over there. Oh, can you imagine? T- touching that globe orb. Can you imagine if, if Barack Obama had that same photo op? Uh, like, <laughs> people would be freaking out. He was, in, he was colluding with them the whole time. He was with He's them. a Muslim. He is not a legitimate American. Show us your birth certificate. All right. All right. I'll show you my birth certificate. Show us your birth certificate. All right. Here it is. Here's my birth certificate. Okay, that's your birth certificate. That's that's not a real birth certificate, sir. Show us your real birth certificate. I hope it comes out that Obama is really from born in Kenya. (laughs) I think that would be fun. (laughs) Because gives a fuck where you're born. I already was the president and I was a fucking boss at it. Get over it. No, but like you were saying, just like. There is some hearsay that Washington wept like a kindergartner <laughs> as he watched from New Jersey the destruction of the fort himself. The fort that was named after me was on the road. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was very funny. That's the funniest thing you've ever done. that's what getting fucking drunk and boop would do to you when you're fucking (laughs) doing a podcast we're doing it live (laughs) like you said this thing was a fucking disaster 2,837 men which is a super fucking specific number 
including 230 officers, yet again a very super specific number, surrendered the fort and walked a gauntlet of the Hessians. You said that the Hessians were there. And let me tell you, Justin, you kind of brushed over it, but these Hessians were fucking badasses. Now, again, yes, the Hessians were badasses in the fact that they were... Also future Nazis. (laughs) Future Nazis. These Hessians were just beating the shit out of the soldiers. And as you mentioned, these soldiers were mostly like little boys and very old men. So these Hessian soldiers were just like beating a terrain, like literally of almost 3,000 men, like a whole train of them, just beating the shit out of them. But they were all boys and old men. Good for you. It would be you. like the most disturbing episode <laughs> of American Gladiators ever. <laughs> just like nitro and what what other names were there (laughs) blaster or whatever the fuck they were called just instead of instead of going up against you know healthy americans just like old dudes and children but and like i said i've been read i read 1776 like last week i was really into it david oh really you haven't mentioned that before i really like the book i read the book uh, David McCullough put it this way. Did you watch the musical? No. Is there fucking seriously a musical? Oh, yeah. Mr. Feeney. Fucking snap. Feeney. Mr. Feeney plays Feeney, uh, Feeney, Feeney. Uh, John Adams, I believe. No. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my gosh. And I need to watch this. Paltrow's mother is in it. It's great. It's a great How musical. How did I not know this? Oh, you know what? I did. I have the Blu-ray at home, but my Blu-ray fucking player was broken. God damn it. Anyway, David... David McCullough put it this way, in a disastrous campaign for New York in which Washington's army had suffered one humiliating, costly reverse after another, this, the surrender of Fort Washington, on Saturday, November 16th, was the most devastating blow of all, an utter catastrophe. Green felt like shit about this whole thing. So Green wrote to Knox, never Did I need the consoling voice of a friend more than now? This is just the most terrible event. Its consequences are to be dreaded. And you know what? You know, I I sometimes have have texted you those very words. And and you reply to me like the next week. Piece of shit. I'm a busy guy. I'm a busy guy. I'm kidding. If I ever... If there's one thing I'm a consistent at, it's being inconsistent. But you know what? So Green felt like shit about this whole thing. But Washington, Washington was a cool guy. He's a cool guy. He didn't lay blame entirely on Green. He admitted that the advice he gave was discretionary and he took the blame himself. He could have railroaded Green and completely destroyed his reputation. That's what a kind of fucking a lot of people did back then. But due to the circumstances, Washington was pretty much forced to endure high levels of failure. He basically had nobody else. And you know what? Green was devoted absolutely. And that was rewarded. Washington knew he would learn from his mistakes and have an even deeper devotion towards him. I mean, imagine this. You fuck up completely. And the guy who's your boss is like, okay, I should have told you something different. And I didn't. That is my bad. You're cool. Everything's good. You'll be like, oh my God, this dude was super cool to me. I'm never going to fuck him over ever. However, we have uh, General Lee, who 
on the other hand, is a complete piece of fucking shit. But more on that later. Anyway, I just want to say he wrote Congressman Benjamin Rush and he said this. He said, I foresaw, predicted all that has happened. Had I the powers, I could do much good. But I'm sure you will never give any man such powers. What a fucking evil piece of shit. He probably would have either been, I would imagine, like when he wrote this after this utter catastrophe, he's like, I think I could do a better job. Listen, I think I could do Congressman Benjamin Rush. I can do a better job. But you know what? I would in order to do a better job, you would need to let me fucking kill everybody. I would just need to kill fucking everybody. And I think this is actually what Pumpkin Spice 45 thought that he would have the powers to do. Just step into office and do whatever he fucking wanted. So, you know, I'm very glad there were cooler heads that prevailed and didn't let this piece of fucking shit. Anyway, <sighs> quickly, I'm getting over it. Deep breaths, deep breaths. In the meantime, Fort Lee was being attacked. They took Fort Washington. They crossed the Hudson and they moved under the cover of darkness, cloaked in black around the fort and scaled the Palisades, which is funny because they must have been reading from George's sneaky, sneaky playbook of how to move around in the dark and be super fucking quiet. But Fort Lee had no real significance anymore. You can't really just defend the entrance to this river, the Hudson River, from one side. The boats could eventually just move around to you. Anyway, the fort is being attacked and Washington raced to the fort. How he knew this was going down at the fort, I'm not quite sure. I didn't really read into it that much. But he ordered an evacuation of 2,000 men. He succeeded in evacuating the men using a small bridge that crossed the Hackensack River, New Jersey. And yet again, Howe did not chase after the Americans. George tells them to run away. Howe is like, I'm a Freemason Illuminati fellow folk, and I won't chase you. But the British crown must have agreed with Howe to some degree because they made him the Knight of the Bath. So William Howe, Knight of the Bubble Bath. So from now on, anyway, he was known as Sir William Howe. And Washington reflects on how fucked he is. It's crazy how the bar of being knighted has changed over the years. Knight of the Bath. I just think that's Oh, did you write Candle in the Wind? Knight. (laughs) Were you Professor X in the X-Men movies? And... John Luke Picard, you're a knight. <laughs> Are you fighting to put down the American Rebellion? I don't think no. so. <laughs> so anyway, all this is going down, and George needed someone he could trust. And he found that in a guy named Reed. So in June 1776, Reed had been made adjunct general so that he could be retained in Washington's service. Definitely a moment of misplaced trust for Washington, Just like trusting that scumbag fucking Lee. (sighs) Anyway, so he gave Reed this commission as adjunct general. And Washington starts telling Reed all of his secrets. And Reed realizes, oh shit, Washington is not quite up to this. He's a little crazy. He tried to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there were a lot of fucking recent failures. Fort Washington, Fort Lee. So Reed decides to voice these concerns to Lee, who he knew that Washington was kind of at odds with. Lee, he figured, 
shared those same feelings. So on November 21st, Washington sent a letter to Lee requesting he bring his troops to help defend New Jersey. He was really obsessed on the idea that Howe might attempt to invade Philadelphia. In this letter, Reed slipped a little note of his own stating, I do not mean to flatter nor praise you at the expense of any other, aka get ready for the pet fest on that skinny little dick of yours, Charles. But I confess, I do think it is entirely owing to you that this army and the liberties of America are not totally cut off. Then he went on to bash Washington pretty hard, saying things like, The general has an indecisive mind, and that is one of the greatest misfortunes that can befall any army. He also stated that as soon as the season will admit, I think yourself and some others should go to Congress and form the plan of a new army. What a shit. What a fucking piece of shit. What a piece of shit. Fucking writing to this little cunt Bagley. And like, that's, I seriously can't like, that's just honestly, like, I'm not trying to like stir shit, but I'm saying that makes me so mad because it's like, okay, Washington trusts you absolutely completely. And you're like, oh, he might be crazy. And I don't like want to deal with this. So I'm going to fucking write to Lee. Anyway. Again, Reed was sending all these fucking silly ass letters to Lee saying that Washington was a little fucking crazy. And Lee finally sends a letter back to Reed. However, because it was wartime and the general needed to ensure that correspondence was read and dealt with in a speedy manner, he saw a letter to Reed from Lee and assumed that it might be urgent news. Uh, So he opens it and instead it was a letter to Reed from Lee describing a few other things. In this letter, Lee tells Reed that he was disregarding orders from Washington and sending 2,000 of General Heath's troops instead of his own. Remember those troops that were currently protecting the Highlands. Lee also echoed some of Reed's thoughts in a letter, saying, The fatal indecision of mind, which in war is much greater disqualification than stupidity or even want of personal courage. Accident may be a decisive blunder in the right. But eternal defeat and miscarriage, uh, accident may put, accident may put a decisive blunder in the right, but eternal defeat and miscarriage must attend the man of the best parts if cursed with indecision. So this is basically the 1770s equivalent. This is a drama. Going through your significant other's phone Uh and finding out that they're fucking sharing. You know, that's really just shitty. Sharon or John would have you. What is you know, Wash? I, you know what I feel really good about right what now? Do you, what do you feel really good about right now? I haven't gone through somebody else's phone in like a decade. I haven't gone through someone else's phone in at least two years. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> and to the person whose phone I had to go through, you cheating bitch. <laughs> you in a better place, Justin? I'm in a great place. Okay, good, good. So back to that letter that Lee sent to Reed, Washington decides to send a letter to Reed himself. He's basically screenshotting that shit and sending it to his... Uh, girlfriend no seriously seriously actually that's so funny that you say that he literally includes a copy of this letter that lee wrote him he copies it he doesn't send him the original no 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 he copies it and he says dear sir 
the enclosed was put into my hands by an express from the White Plains, having no idea of its being a private letter, much less suspecting the tendency of the correspondence, I opened it, as I had done all other letters, to you. Upon the business of your office, this, and it's the truth, must be excused for seeing the contents of a letter which neither inclination or intention would have prompted me to. I thank you for the trouble and fatigue you have undergone in your journey to Burlington. And I don't know why I'm talking in a British voice. (laughs) And sincerely, with that of my labors, may be crowded with the desired success. My best respects to Miss Reed. Washington was a fucking gangster. He didn't say a thing. He just sent the letter big like, I saw this and I'm sorry. I saw this and I'm sorry. He handled it a lot better than me. He fucking apologized. I saw this and I'm sorry. Me, I'm just like, who's Richard? Who's Richard? <laughs> who's Brad? Why are there so many? Who's, who's John? Oh my God. But what a way to torment a man. And I don't just mean your, your text that you saw from your ex-lover. But I mean... He's leaving to the imagination of Reed how mad he was at him. Instead of just coming out right and being like, you fucking bastard, you motherfucking cunt. I can't believe that you did this to me. He was a gentleman and he knew that a gentleman must live by a certain code of ethics. We see this time and time again with Washington. Upon reading the letter, Reed immediately tendered his resignation and Washington went to go talk to him and got him to withdraw it. He kept Reed on his staff, although he had now a guarded relationship with him, obviously. The two continued to exchange letters and never mentioned the mishap again. Washington was playing it cool. Be, just be cool. Be cool, guys. Reed had enough torture, and on March 8th, 1777, he broached the subject. He said things like, He attempted to retrieve the letter. I slipped it in. I tried to get it out. I'm so sorry. And then, and then he also said in this that his letters to Lee were not inconsistent with that respect and affection which he had for Washington. So he was like, I didn't say anything that was completely bad, but I mean, you know, like, okay, so it wasn't all good, maybe, but like, okay, what he was saying to me was not as bad anyway. George made him sweat it out until June 11th of 1777. George was not one to hold a grudge, but he was also not one to quickly forgive such an insurrection. His letter to Reed revealed why he was so hurt. And he quote, I quote, True it is, I felt myself hurt by a certain letter which appeared at the time to be an echo of one from you. I was hurt not because I thought my judgment wronged by the expressions contained in it, but because the same sentiments were not communicated immediately to myself He then signed this letter, your obedient and affectionate George Washington, which I'm pretty sure meant fuck you, but I forgive you, you little bitch. Maybe I feel like I feel like that's what he was trying to say by your obedient and affectionate. Oh my god, I 
<laughs> That's what that sounded like to me. <laughs> what a dick. So, by the way, Washington, playing it cool, never told Lee he knew about the letter. Turns out he wouldn't have to, but uh, more on that in the next episode. What do you say, Justin? Yeah, it feels good to be back on the saddle. Doesn't it? Washington's saddle. I feel, I like riding it. I like riding that saddle. So if you could, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Okay, so Bagapu, uh, which I think anyway, is a gentleman by the James of James M. I'll just call him James M. You know who you are. I don't want to say your name on, on air unless it's cool. I don't know. Anyway, this podcast is a quite wonderful romp through the life of, so far, America's first president. The historical storytelling is in-depth and witty with particular emphasis on those facts and quirks of history, see Spanish fly, that the casual historian may have missed and more when listening to stuffy podcasts on a- or academic books. The two hosts have a natural and genuine method of podcasting, throwing in political and historical wit to boot. I can't wait to see how this podcast progresses and grows and look forward to listening for a long time. Mr. James M., I hope you listen for a long time and thank you for being a friend, bud. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you from the cockles of my heart. We love you. And I will also read a review, which is... Oh, my. Almost the exact opposite. (laughs) (laughs) It's This review is not quite as eloquent, but I think I appreciate it almost as much. (laughs) User iTunes user Christy Boner. Christy Boner. Thank you. What a most curious name. Writes, hilarious. Made me wish good old George would ride me like one of his horses. (laughs) Can't wait to hear more. Giddy up. (laughs) (laughs) And I I just am full of joy. This is why we have an explicit rating on iTunes. James and Christy Boner. Okay, here's what you need to do. James and Christy Boner, both of you email me at contact at POTUS.life. Send me, send me your addresses, and I will send you a coffee mug with some logos on it. Our logos, Justin. Maybe, or maybe a nice phrase like, fuck, Charles Lee. I've been doing dot, some dot, work. Dot, an American I- hero. Justin, I've been doing some work in the background and there's some cool fucking designs that I've been handing out. So maybe we should also do one that says, what is it that you wanted to say? Fuck Charles Lee, dot, 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 an American, an American hero. hero. Justin, did you know, question mark, that it costs money to rent a domain and have an email account and have a website that I haven't updated in over months? You could help pay for that as a wonderful listener of our show by going to our website and donating. I love everyone. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. There's a port on a western bay and it serves a hundred ships a day. Sailors pass the time away.
talk about their homes And there's a girl in this harbor town And she works laying whiskey down They say brandy, fetch another round She serves them whiskey and wine They say, they say brandy, you're a fine girl Summer's day bringing gifts from far away, but it made it clear he couldn't stay. No harbor was his home. The sailor said, Brandy, you're a fine girl. Silent town and loves a man who's not around. She still can hear him say, She hears him say, Brandy. 